Every student, every teacher, every person has a story. In education, part of teaching the whole child involves listening to and honoring this whole story. When an adult knows a child's story, says Ben Gilpin, everything begins to change. Ben is the principal of Warner Elementary School in Spring Arbor, Michigan. He's been in education for 22 years. Before serving as a principal, he first taught for nine years in a fifth grade classroom. At Warner Elementary, Ben and his staff have worked hard to make their school feel safe, comfortable, and like, well, home. A place the students can be proud of and enjoy being. When you enter someone's home, what are the first things you usually see? Perhaps pictures of the family or of a pet. When I was talking to Ben, he told me that, similarly, when you walk the halls at Warner, you don't see trophies and accolades, but rather, you see pictures of and by kids. You see inspirational signs, soft colors, and mosaics on the wall. They even have a gigantic Lego board where kids can be creative in between periods. All of this is highly intentional. Ben and his staff strive to create a family atmosphere at his elementary school because they believe that, in order to learn, students first need to feel safe. But Ben does more than just talk the talk. Here's something that amazed me. He knows each and every student in his school by name. All 400 of them. Even with masks on, he says, he can tell you the name of every student who walks through the front door at Warner as he greets them in the morning. Why? Because he wants students to start out their day feeling seen, acknowledged, and welcomed into the school building. You can see many echoes of this learning philosophy in his leadership style, where he focuses on listening first, building trust, and creating a space where teachers can try, fail, and grow. During our conversation, Ben and I talked about his journey into education, his vision for student learning, what engagement really means and looks like in action in classrooms, and his hopes for the future as we enter a new era of schooling. If, if we knew what people were dealing with, would we treat them differently? And I tend to think we would. I tend to think the majority of people, if you knew the person's story that you're dealing with, it would change how you interact with them. I, I don't think we'd see as much road rage. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we would see people um, blasting others on social media. I mean, you, there's, a, there's a tremendous value in learning a person's story. I'm Nikki Herta, and this is Bright. Stories of Hope and Innovation in Michigan Classrooms, a podcast where we celebrate our state's educators and explore the future of learning. Let's dive in. To kick off our interview, Ben and I started with rapid-fire questions, where I gave him prompts and asked him to say the first thing that came to mind. You ready? Yep. All right. Favorite pizza topping? Sausage. Last show you watched? Jack Ryan. Coffee is? Never had it. What? <laughs> All right. Uh, you're the first um, on, the, on the podcast. Last thing that made you smile? Uh, my son's baseball. Uh, favorite teacher? Uh, that would be, back in the day, Mrs. Dennison. Um, she's actually now Mrs. Bergstrom, and she's a principal. So, Teachers are? Amazing. Michigan is? 
The mitten? Learning is... Essential. Innovation is... Harder to come by. Um, the future of education is... Mobile. Students need... Support. Teachers need... To be valued. I am hopeful that... We're on the backside of COVID. <laughs> so Ben knows the name of each and every student at Werner Elementary. As we dove deeper, I asked him to tell me more about the intentionality behind this choice. I did not love school when I was growing up. Um, I'm probably pretty average in saying that there were some classes that I really connected with the teacher, and there were some that I absolutely despised it and stared out that window and could not wait for the bell to ring and for myself to be able to get out of there. Um, but I think that's probably the experience that a lot of us had. I would not have anticipated that I was going to be in, in education. Um, I was, shoot, I was going to be a professional golfer, right? No, that didn't happen. But uh, um, I was not going to be an educator. Um, my my wife, um, when she was my girlfriend, she said, you know, you're really good with people. You're really good with kids. And that kind of got me to start thinking about that. So I changed my major three times. Three times I changed my major. So for all of the, all of the, and, th and this is, I mean, this is a bit of a side note, but it is on the same topic. You're not going to hear me say to kids, what are you going to be when you grow up? I, I want to talk to them about their dreams, but I didn't know what I wanted to be. So I had dreams, but I didn't know what I wanted to be. So that's just not something I typically do. Once I got into education, I was this confident, not arrogant, <laughs> kid that um, that believed I could change the world. And I thought, you know what? There was so much in education I didn't like. I can change that. I can be. I can be the change that um, the education needs. And so I went into it very driven and very uh, motivated to do that. And I knew that it started with the relationship. It always starts with a relationship, and so from day one, as a teacher, it was about getting to know my kids. It was about going on uh, home visits um, first year. It was about visiting the community. It was about doing things that were engaging and fun. Um, you know, rarely did we sit there at the desk and get out the book and read and take notes. That just was not my style. Um, a lot of the ways I taught, <laughs> um, I love to take the online um, games, Jeopardy, Wheel of Fortune, you name it. I love to take those games and, and make them into lessons. Um, when they, when, and I, at, being a fifth grade teacher, when they came out with, the, uh, with that TV game show, um, Smarter Than a Fifth Grader, oh man, I made that a staple in my classroom. So it was all about making it fun. When I transitioned to principal, it was the same way. I wanted to make it engaging and fun. I wanted to get to know kids. I wanted to be visible. I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to connect with, with kids. And, um, and I knew the best way to connect with kids is, as soon as I see them, to know their name. And, and so I stand at the front door every single morning. And even when they have a mask on, I can still name them all. 
<laughs> so it's it's always mattered because to me relationships have to come first. Could you tell me a little bit about your vision for student learning and what that looks like? You know, to me, it's it goes back to um, when I was a student myself. I didn't really love to learn, but if I felt like my teacher championed me, and I also felt like um, I could see the bigger picture a little bit, um, and also you didn't just tell me, you involved me. Um, Hands-on learning, um, that's what I cared about the most. So at first it was really about making sure that, that um, kids feel safe, that kids feel heard, that kids feel as though they can take a risk. Um, and we talked a lot about, as a staff, we talked a lot about failure and we used that acronym FAIL, first attempt in learning. Um, and, and the whole goal was getting the adults to embrace creating that safe atmosphere. Once we felt like the, the atmosphere was, was pretty much there, then it was really about engaging the kids. It was about um, letting them show off what they know in, in a lot of different ways, not just a one-size-fits-all. Um, this year with, with the pandemic, um, it hasn't been what I would have wanted it to be. But I think that what we have done this past year is we've relied on the relationships that we've built with kids and families. So even though the learning doesn't necessarily look the way it always has for us, we're still putting the student at the at the forefront. It's 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 what's most important. Um, but ultimately, you know, to answer your question, it's it's about engagement. And it's when I told teachers early on when I went in to do a an observation or a walkthrough that. You have to understand when I'm coming in the room, I'm not even looking at you teaching. I'm looking at the students. I'm looking to see how how involved are they in what's going on in the classroom. That's the first thing I notice every single time. That's what I was going to ask, actually, is, um, I, you know, I hear this word engagement thrown around a lot, and I hear it meaning, yep. I think, a lot of different things, but I'm not sure. And I think what you just said is a really good sneak peek into that. Um, but do you want to say any more about how you define engagement and why it's so important? You know, it's, it's, to me, it's about involvement and, and there's, we've all heard there's introverts and extroverts and I get that. And not every student is going to be an extrovert raising their hand and trying to get involved, but there are ways to get students involved, whether that's through small group, whether that's, I think what it ultimately comes down to is there can be parts of your lesson that maybe are more teacher driven but then at some point it has to become more student driven. And when it's student driven, are we providing choices? Are we providing different avenues? Um, one thing that I, I tried really hard as a teacher and I'm trying to also incorporate this as, as an administrator is when I put out some type of a assignment back when I was teaching, I typically would have four, five, six different options. And I would say, you can, you can write an essay on this. You can create your own podcast on this. You can do a video. You can sing a song. You can make it a rap song. You can you can create a um, a PowerPoint. And so I wanted kids to be able to have. And I had fifth graders, so they were able to get a little bit more creative. And it was more about putting them in charge. How can they show me what they know? And and to me, that's when you really start to see the engagement. Is, is when you give them that, uh, 
autonomy to just say, take it, show me what you got. What role does technology play in this vision, if any? Mm. Um, well, there's good and bad with technology. The, the I guess to start on the on the bad side, um, when the technology is just a substitute um, and it becomes a digital worksheet, I don't I don't necessarily think that's engagement. I I look at some of the apps and some of the avenues that people you know I, I've watched teachers use GarageBand and I've been just floored. Um, green screen technology is really cool, especially with some of our lower elementary kids um, using green screen. And it just kind of put, it brings some of their projects to life. Um, the technology, there's there's really a couple of key components. The one component is that the adults have to have a degree of comfort in it. Um, because ultimately what I've watched throughout my career is when when the adults really don't know what they're doing or don't feel comfortable in something, they're going to be more reluctant to do it. Oftentimes our kids are more willing to try things than the adults. Um, so that's the first caveat. Can we make sure that the, the adults feel comfortable enough to at least try it or take a risk? The second component is making it intentional that we're going to do something that's not just a substitute. It's not just going to be a digital worksheet. Um, and then I think the final component is learning through the mistakes. And and to me, that especially at the elementary level, that is probably the most key piece, learning through the mistakes. The mistakes that the adults make, the mistake that the kids make, we can learn from our mistakes and we can make it even better. You were talking about how if the teacher is more familiar with the technology, you know, or comfortable with the technology, it makes it easier. And I guess the first question that came to my mind is, you know, if you're offering all these options for differentiation, like if a student is producing something in GarageBand or they're producing something in some other tool that the student is comfortable with, does the teacher, um, I mean, I guess I was trying to figure out the tension there, right? Because the teacher might not know all of these programs. Do they need to know all of these programs? Or is um, what is that tension between teacher comfort and student choice um, in using technology as a tool for differentiation? Mm, yep. So pre-pandemic, probably a good way to put this, pre-pandemic, we, um, we had a lot of professional developments that were, for lack of a better term, choose your own adventure. So teachers could go learn different tools that they could then incorporate into their classroom. Um, and we were not one-to-one. -one. What we were is we were um, probably half of the room had a device. And so teachers were mainly doing technology in more of a center-based type of an atmosphere, not necessarily just a full-blown one-to-one. What happened with the pandemic is we, we actually went or are now one-to-one. -one. Um, but now it's, it's much more based in, a, in an LMS. And so we use Seesaw at the elementary. But this is this is <laughs> this is not the perfect year to give that example. Previous years would give us a better example of you know teachers would learn some different tools through PD. Um, I think every single teacher knows me well enough to know that they've got the green light to to try and fail and to try again and and let it be messy. 
you know, we've, we've talked a lot about messy is okay. That's oftentimes that's where the magic happens. So that's a little bit about, that's probably a little bit about that story. Elementary schools are where students really begin developing their attitudes towards school, teachers, and learning in general. It's such an important time in a student's life, but Ben says he often has to remind his staff that you don't always get to see the full impact you've had until a student is older. You're nurturing seeds in a garden you may or may not see bloom. Ben and I talked about the role of elementary teachers in lighting a spark and how you can tell when it's been lit. At the elementary level, the other part is sometimes you don't reap the rewards. Sometimes um, we don't actually see the amazing things happen here at the elementary level. And this past year, um, I had two former students that are now in the high school. And I'd contacted them because I had I knew that they were doing some stuff with photography and videography and um, I thought, huh, as our kickoff to start the year, I'd love to do kind of like a, um, a some type of a music video where we can edit in and, and do the, these cool things with our entire staff. And I had contacted two former students and it it turned out absolutely amazing. And that's one of the things that I, I remind staff that oftentimes all the hard work that we're doing at the elementary level, you might not actually get to see the rewards. But somewhere down the line, you can light that spark and, and it's going to happen. And so just take faith that and giving the opportunities, that's what we're supposed to do at the elementary. Light that spark and let it take off. Yeah, that kind of ties into my question I was going to ask about. Um, you know, if you can think of, and, and you're right, I think it probably is harder to see the effects at the elementary level. That makes a whole lot of sense to me. Um, but I, I guess just any examples of lessons like that, that were very choice-based and followed your vision for learning, and the kind of impact that it had on students. Um, like what do you see that's different when you go into a classroom and you're evaluating it? And when you see that engagement, what is it that looks different kind of in their faces and in the way that they're engaging with learning that really tells you that this is right and this is what's best for students? You know, when, it, <laughs> this is an easy one. When you walk into a room as, a, as an administrator, when you walk into a room and the kids want to show you what they're doing, I mean, right there. You can just drop the mic right there, because they they they're proud of it. They're um they're excited. They want to share that to me. That's that's when you know that there's some, there's something absolutely golden happening in this classroom. Mm-hmm. What does it indicate to you about their learning? It indicates a couple of things. It indicates to me that number one, they're proud of their learning. They're excited about their learning, um, but then they're also there's a degree of confidence, and and that's where I think sometimes as adults we get stuck, and we think that learning is do they know do they know all their division facts, do they do they know all the parts of grammar. That's a part of learning, but that's not all learning. I want to see learning as trying new things. I want to see learning as taking a risk. I want to see learning as 
developing and creating something that they've never created before. I also want to see learning as as when a because when a student can teach another student, there is a lot of power in that. And so to me that's that that's that learning cycle. Um so I'm not going to be a person that's going to pound on the door and demand that every single kid is writing in cursive and can develop a perfect five five sentence paragraph. I want to see them doing things that they get excited about, that they're taking a risk, they're trying new things, and then not only that, but can they show other people what they're learning too? One of the subjects that Ben is passionate about is educating the whole child. During our conversation, we talked about how in order to educate the whole child, you have to first know their whole story. When we know someone's story, he says, we change the way we teach them. When it comes to equity in education, part of the job of the educator is to listen even more closely to those stories that may vary significantly from their own. You mentioned that you're passionate about educating the whole child. Um, what does that mean to you? Why is it important? And what does it look like in practice at Werner Elementary? Mm -hmm. So the whole child for me is, number one, it goes back to if a student doesn't feel safe, um, and safe is, is, safe can be a lot of things. Do they have food in their stomach? Do they have clean clothes? Um, do they have a space where they can, do they have a space where they have someone at the school that they know is their champion, that cares about them? Um, those are some important factors because if something is amiss, and we know that our kids nowadays, they're dealing with divorce, they're dealing with broken homes, they're dealing with um, families that are in crisis, they're dealing with um, abuse. I mean, there's a, there's a whole slew of things that our kids are dealing with. So the first and foremost is they have to feel safe. And so when I'm, think, when I'm talking about whole child, is that safe atmosphere created? And then on top of the safe atmosphere, do they also feel safe enough to share? As a, as a former student way back in the day, there were certain classrooms I wasn't going to ever raise my hand. There were certain classrooms that I, I basically tried to hide. I wanted to fly under the radar. Um, to me, that's not, that's not a safe environment. I want kids to feel as though they they can speak up, they can speak out. But I also know that that doesn't just get created by the adult. It also is it also is developed by the kids. So, you know, we've talked a lot about classroom meetings. We've talked a lot about mindfulness here at Warner. And classroom meetings and mindfulness tr the goal is creating an atmosphere, an environment where it becomes a bit of a family. I mean, you're in the you're basically in the same room for six to seven hours of the day. I mean, obviously you're going to go out for recess and you're going to go to specials and things, but you're together for six to seven hours of the day. Not everybody is going to be best friends, but even in a family setting, not everybody is best friends. So you want to just treat each other with respect. You want to, you know, we don't want to have we don't want to have an environment where a kid feels bullied or afraid to speak up and talk out. Um, so the environment 
as part of that whole child. Um, the other part is this kind of shifts to the adults. The adults, once the adult figures out the kid's story, everything changes. And you know we've we've got some we've got some very high need level students. Uh, we had a student just um, just last year that um, um, her teeth were going rotten and she couldn't eat anything of of substance because um, it was causing a lot of damage and and you know she was having some infections in her mouth. When I had two different adults learn this little girl's story. And on a Saturday morning, they're contacting the family to say, do you need a car ride? Do you need help with a payment? Do you need, what do you need? And to me, when it come, when I think about the whole child, it's about that safe piece, but it also then in turn goes to the adults. Are the adults willing to learn the story? Because every single kid, every single person has a story. That to me is the whole child. Another thing you mentioned is that you have a, a strong belief in the importance of equity in education. And so what's going on there and what do you think is needed for us to move forward? Mm. Well, equity is equity is is right now feels like an uphill battle. Um, It's easy, and I and I can say this because I I know right where I'm coming from. But it's easy to say we should be empathetic. But the fact of the matter is, I mean, if if I were to bring out Black Lives Matter, the fact of the matter is that everybody can see it. Everybody that knows me knows this. I am not a black man. Never have been. So as much as I want to be empathetic, as much as I want to be understanding, I'll never truly get that. However, I can be curious. I can be supportive. I can be a good listener. I can say, what do you need from me? I can be genuine. I can be authentic. I can be heartfelt. And and when I, so I have a percentage of minority students here and I I want to hear their story too. So, you know, when when we talk about equity, at least from my seat, there's no there's no separating that. If I'm going to learn the story of my students, I'm going to learn all of the stories of my students. If I'm going to learn the names of my students, I'm going to learn all their names. So there's parts that I can do that are going to be equitable. But then the, the other parts are that I also have to be understanding that the background may be different. And so being able to ask the question, what do you need? How can I help? Um, there's a, there is a big gap in, in, in our country. Um, I don't completely know how to fix that. I think if I did, I'd probably, probably be in Washington, D.C. right now. <laughs> but I, I don't have the silver bullet in how to fix that. I just know what I can do myself, what I can model, what I can push into others and try to get them to see. Um, but it, it is, it's, it feels like it's an uphill battle. Yeah. 
it kind of brings me back to, I think, you know, you said at the beginning of our interview something about how when you were, you know, young and in education, you wanted to change the world, right? And it sounds like maybe the answer that you've come to is that it starts with, you know, knowing each person's name and story. There was a video I watched recently that it goes through and you see these, um, these boxes around people's heads and it, it, it gives a narrative of what they're thinking and and basically what it states is if if we knew what people were dealing with would we treat them differently and I tend to think we would I tend to think the majority of people if you knew the person's story that you're dealing with it would change how you interact with them I I don't think we'd see as much road rage. <laughs> I don't I don't think we would see people um, blasting others on social media. I mean, you, there's a there's a tremendous value in learning a person's story. As a school leader, Ben also has a lot of beliefs about what matters most when it comes to leadership and empowering teachers to do their best work. You'll notice a lot of similarities between his teaching philosophy and his leadership style. Actions speak louder than words, he says, and listening goes a lot further than speaking does. As a young principal, he says most of his mistakes came from losing sight of this. He shares his insight that when it comes to leadership, it's not about you. It's about listening to the stories of your teachers, creating a culture of trust, and allowing space for failure and innovation alike. As a teacher, as a teacher, I would have... I probably self-put myself as a teacher leader. But I didn't necessarily do it with my words. I tried to do it more with my actions. Um, you know, I joined our education association. I, I um, you know, I tried to mentor some of the younger teachers. I tried to be supportive of my colleagues. I tried to be a leader in that way, but not necessarily the most vocal of leaders. When I became the principal, there was probably a two-year stretch that um, I lost sight of that. And in losing sight of it, what happened was I was really trying to prove myself. Um, it was, it was there, probably my epiphany happened when I joined Twitter. And I started doing Twitter chats, and I started reading some different quotes. I read some different blog posts. I started reading more books. Um, and I started to see that... In, in being a leader, it's truly not about me. It's truly about what are you doing to serve and support others. And it then became a goal of mine because I had, I had presented um, many times. And so then when I was going to present, whether at the national or the state level, um, I, was, I was wanting to tell our story. In fact, several of my first few presentations were titled, Tell Your Story. And I would tell the story of Warner Elementary. And I would have pictures of different staff members. And I would talk about what they do in their classroom and, and the amazing things that they're doing and how we're sharing that story so that our community hears our story. Well, it then hit me like a ton of bricks that the best person to tell those stories wasn't me. The best person to tell those stories was, is the staff as the teachers. And so something I'm very proud of, um, a couple of different statistical things. 
Um, in my time here at Warner Elementary, I've presented with or encouraged people to present, and they actually have done it. Um, I've had 17 different staff members present, um, and they've presented state level, local level. Um, it's and that's the sense of pride that they get from being able to share their story and share what they're really good at. Um, it makes me feel good. So that would be the first part about that empowerment piece. But then the other piece that I'm really proud of is um, during my time here, um, I've had six different teachers named Teacher of the Year in the county. And, and so what I want you to hear is it took me a little bit of time. Honestly, it took me a little bit of time. But when it, it finally clicked, it's not about me. It was about what can I do to empower, build capacity, and build up others. And, and that's really what I'm most, most proud of is the success of my teaching staff. Um, not only my teaching staff, but some of the student teachers that have gone on to be teachers. Um, that means a lot to me, to, to see them feel empowered, to see them um, you know, take on larger roles, whether that's in school improvement, whether that's in, in doing something at the county level, whether that's um, going and being an instructional coach. Um, those are some really cool things that I feel great about. So that's, I think that's part one of your question. Part two was about... Um, failure? It had to be from... It, it actually started with my failures. I, I have not been a huge fan of um, teacher evaluation from the beginning. Because, simply because, um, when I started out, there was never a number attached. There was a narrative attached. And what we focused on, what I focused on with staff was always about here's, here are a couple of things that you do really, really well. What is something that we can point to as your next step? And so in the next step, that narrative was all about growth. It's not about a weakness. What's your next step? When it push down the line that we had to start attaching numbers, that became much harder. And what I quickly discovered is, and I feel like I have some very great relationships here, um, but I will say, as soon as a number was attached, people took very much, they took offense to it. And and so that was that was really hard. And so it was trying to base the conversation not in a number, it was trying to base a conversation and going back to our roots. Here's what you do really well. What's our next step? And so when we think about, when you ask the question about failure, it really comes from a spot of trust. People need to feel like you're not out to get them. And from an administrator's seat, what I would push into any administrator out there, if you, if, if you don't establish trust, there's going to be a degree of people that don't want to fail because they think that you're going to be getting them. You're going to be dinging them for something. So failure has to start with trust. But then the other part is, as an administrator, and I, I have done this on more occasions than I want to count, I've screwed up. But when I screw up, I want to go and I want to make it right. I want to, I want to apologize. I want to own that. I want to say, I, I'm better than that. I know why you're upset. I know that you feel like 
I didn't let you fail. And so those were mistakes I've made. And so having those honest conversations, owning my mistakes is part of that trust, which ultimately brings in the ability to fail more. Toward the end of our conversation, I asked Ben what he hopes to see as we move forward out of pandemic learning conditions and what advice he has for his fellow educators right now. Any advice or words of wisdom to your fellow educators right now? What I would want to tell educators, leaders, we should do more listening than talking. Um, I think it's as simple as that. I think there's there, everybody right now wants to be right. Everybody wants to be the one that says, I told you so. I think we just need to be better listeners all the way around. After my conversation with Ben, I was left inspired by his commitment to the students and staff at Warner Elementary. Together, he and his staff have recognized that what matters most in learning is relationships, and that honoring the whole child means knowing their whole story. But this isn't just true for kids. For adults, too, knowing a person's story can significantly alter the way we interact with one another. He wants to know these stories. He wants every student and teacher at his school to feel seen, safe, welcomed, and listened to. This is where real learning begins. This is where real engagement begins. And this is where real change begins. As we look to the future, we'll continue to celebrate Michigan educators, sharing their hopes, their fears, their dreams, and their beliefs in what's best for our children as we move forward into a new era of post-pandemic learning. Without a doubt, it's going to be hard work to create schools where every single student and every single teacher feels safe, seen, welcomed, and listened to. But with leaders like Ben forging our path forward, if there's one thing we're certain of, it's that the future is bright. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Bright, stories of hope and innovation in Michigan classrooms. This podcast is produced by Herbie Gaylord, is hosted by me, Nikki Herta, and is made possible by Michigan Virtual, a nonprofit organization that's leading and collaborating to build learning environments for tomorrow. Education is changing faster than ever. Discover new models and resources to move learning forward at your school at michiganvirtual.org.